We're in the Me Too generation, so I have to be very gentle. You wouldn't have your job if you weren't beautiful. It's very sad. I wouldn't choose to be alone with him. This is a journey. Love tweeted Saturday saying, although I wasn't one of his victims, I was eternally banned by CAA for speaking out against Harvey Weinstein. New dimension, new value. For years, men have been getting a whole pizza delivered to them every day, and now women just want half of the pizza, and men are like, what? Why the fuck am I getting half a pizza all of a sudden? You're listening to episode one of Men Behaving Better with me, Jarlath Regan, brought to you by Irish Men Abroad Podcast. This is a show for men who want to change and women who believe that change is possible. Recorded live at Soho Theatre, each episode brings together a panel of guests to discuss issues relating to men improving. This episode, though, is very much our pathfinding episode, a broad discussion before we head into the more specific areas later in the series. I want you to come on the journey. I want you to be part of the conversation, whether you attend a live show or not. The mailbag will be a big part of all our future shows. So if you have a question, a suggestion or an issue with what we discussed or maybe a dilemma or a challenge you want to set me, please email us. Irishmanabroadpodcast at gmail.com is the place to email. Irishmanabroadpodcast at gmail.com. I'll do everything I can to reply to every single email personally. But here it is. It gives me great pleasure to present to you episode one of Men Behaving Better. guys uh what a pleasure it is to bring to the stage our three guests for the inaugural episode of men behaving better i want to introduce our first guest uh, pierre novelli who is a re- regular correspondent on bbc 2's the mash report the guardian said he is the dawn of a major talent which sounds more ominous than anything uh, he's the host of my favorite podcast which is it's not my favorite podcast. His podcast is called My Favorite Podcast, which I think is a joke that he has written in the attempt to get people to say his podcast is their favorite podcast. He is a man attempting to get better, and he's performing his fringe show this year in the Pleasance Courier. Will you please welcome to the stage Pierre Novelli, everyone. Uh, Our second guest is Fern Brady. Fern Brady is a stand-up and writer and has appeared on Brexit Stage Left on Vice, 8 out of 10 Cats, The News Quiz, and written for The Guardian. She has a BA from University of Edinburgh in Arabic and Islamic history. Her most recent stand-up special, Suffer Fools, has just been recorded for live at the BBC. Will you put your hands together and welcome to the stage, Fern Brady, everybody. Uh, Our final guest, Simon George, is a human rights lawyer and advocate and legend. She's the co-author of Lawlessness of the Home. She represents women who are experiencing abuse across the world and is a truly extraordinary guest that we're very lucky to have. She is also working at the moment uh, to connect people across the world to help find a cure for paralysis. Kind of puts in context your shitty uh, (laughs) achievements, guys. Will you please welcome to the stage Simon George, everybody. So much to me. 
It is so great to have you guys here. And Pierre, you raised something during the week that kind of uh, shocked me that I'd never heard of when I spoke yeah. to you on the phone about this. It was the idea that we should be aware of our performative allies, that those that are yeah. speaking out a lot about a topic, you know, there should be certain wariness about that person. So when I invited you on this podcast first of all when you heard about it did alarm bells go off yeah I thought what's Jaleth done <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> and did you think that I thought you'd done something by inviting you yeah. on, on yeah, yeah yeah it's a thing I, I first heard the phrase performative ally from I read it uh, do you guys know Bridie Lee Kennedy she's an Australian journalist uh, she wrote about it where it's like always beware because the correlation between you know outspoken Outrage and secretly doing something is pretty high sometimes. So do you feel like I felt when starting this discussion, when starting this series, which is that there's going to be a certain amount, and I'm not sure women are aware of this, that the reason why there isn't more of this is because many men and many of my comedian colleagues say, oh God, I wouldn't go near that. Good oh, guys, yeah. good guys that I know. I would think... <laughs> have no shady past but they're like I'm not going to touch that because it's, it's I, so difficult I think some of them it's that same thing that makes you feel like you have an anus full of cocaine when you go through the airport <laughs> even though you don't but you just think but what if, but what if somehow I do what if, it's, what if it just got up there there's that real fear of being in trouble <laughs> you just go I'll stay home and I'll close the curtains and I'll sit and look at the wall I think that and then uh, I'll be safe you three <laughs> I, I, it's no coincidence that the three of you are the guests for episode one because each of you in your lives and your work have experienced men let's say it at their absolute worst Pierre for you it's obviously the experience of living in South Africa in a time when crime, the levels oh, yeah. of crime are such that I you don't you meant, feel... I thought you meant stag do's at gigs. I was like, at the worst, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> Joe Maybe, maybe yeah. Fern, you can tell us, to start with, your experience that I refer to here of uh, men at their worst. When you would say, you had said to me that your experience of men in this part-time job that you had while at university uh -huh, uh, yeah. <laughs> that changed your opinion of them and how you deal with them on a daily basis. Yeah, I was a, a stripper when I was at uni. Um, this is 10 years ago. Strip clubs are dying out now. It's tragic. <laughs> and, um, it completely changed my view of um, men and women and the power dynamics between them. And actually, I was reading a thing in the Sunday Times yesterday about hostesses at Ascot and uh, the, the the description this girl gave of the power dynamics between um, the hostesses and the men that came in was identical to what you experience in stripping because um, the, the very worst thing about stripping is nothing to do with taking your clothes off. It's that you have to um, barter back and forth with the men all night to try and basically get them to go for a dance with you and try and make a sale. And um, that was what men got a kick out of, was uh, withholding that from us and practically like tickling us under the chin with money. <laughs> like, it completely turned me into a radical feminist. Like, I don't go in for any of the arguments that 
stripping is empowering or like how can a job be empowering when you're fighting one of your colleagues because you both came in in a sexy schoolgirl outfit like it's just (laughs) 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 I just don't buy that argument at all I I was amazed when preparing for this that not many people had asked you the question how you found yourself doing it what precipitated the decision to do it and what kept you in it uh, when uh, you know as you say it's extremely difficult thing to be doing. Uh, when I spoke to you on the phone, you said that a certain normalisation starts to uh, occur over the course of doing it. Yeah, um, so first off, to address the, the first thing you said, in the UK, people go really tense when I mention it, and then I realised it might be because they assume they get strippers mixed up with uh, prostitutes or something, I don't know, people... Uh, but we were just... Uh, dancing and uh, merely taking our clothes off <laughs> and, um, but then I went to Australia there to do Melbourne Comedy Festival and they were so laid back like I was doing breakfast radio and they were like so you're a bloody stripper good for you uh, and it was kind of refreshing being able to do that material on stage and not have this awful tension that people were judging me why did the why did I stay in the job? Well, you're self-employed. You can pick your own hours. If I didn't do it, I would have dropped out of university. Um, I could have dropped out, saved up, and then come back and done a minimum wage job. But um, when I was at uni, I was working part. I was interning at um, a lot of newspapers because I wanted to be a journalist and I used to work from a university newspaper. Now, uh, the media in the UK is heavily skewed towards privately educated people and by doing stripping it meant that I could only work a few hours and then I could go and do all these internships and even though I'm not a journalist now I ended up in comedy from doing that kind of job so it's interesting uh, to me that you say that like there's uh, that the Australians are much more open idea of it and it kind of leads to you Simon because you would you would explain to me that the shame that is put on someone in your position and doing a job that's like that off the beaten track is part of the patriarchy that we understand that the punishment for somebody doing something different or experiencing something different is for them not to be able to engage with the world afterwards that they have to be treated differently and we kind of surround it with silence to disempower the person that's that's done this thing so this is sort of a recent epiphany I had from reading an amazing book called Sex at Dawn by um, Christopher Ryan and Casilda Jenka, and they look at who we are biologically as, as human beings. So anthropologists have looked at what sort of animal are we, but have never looked at what sort of animal are we sexually, like biologically. And one of the things that underpins patriarchy, which is just the social structure we've lived in for, I think it's about 4% of the time human beings have been on the face of the earth. So before that, we were hunter-gatherers, foragers, fiercely egalitarian. The biggest taboo was to be stingy with your antelope that you got or with your genitals. And then when uh, agriculture started and we settled and this obsession became, uh, came about whether your children were yours or not, the theory, I gather it's quite challenged, but the theory is that female sexuality was um, uh, described as a scarcity. 
you know, it was something women didn't enjoy, it was something that men owned, that they bartered meat and shelter and protection in return for sex and then knowing where their children came from. And apparently that's total bullshit. And actually, if you look at the really lack of success around monogamy in the human race, I mean, it's a struggle for most people. I think Christopher Ryan says just because you stop eating bacon doesn't mean it doesn't smell good. So just because you marry somebody, it doesn't mean you don't find other people attractive. And so this idea around, uh, so misogyny and homophobia come from the same well. So anything that doesn't uphold a, the system of dominance, this patriarchal system of dominance, is now the taboo. Right. So instead of being fiercely egalitarian, we are now fiercely hierarchical. And that plays out in sexuality. And I think what's happened recently, actually, with Taylor Swift and Beyonce dancing and around in their pants, is yeah. that you can be sexy to men. That's now okay. But you can't be sexual. So you can, you can be sexy in the male gaze, but you can't be sexual. We're still sort of disgusted by female sexuality. So, like, I, I can get that that... that we're stuck and feminists don't know how to feel about yeah I call it Beyonce feminism when I see it like she just played a gig there where she had a massive feminist sign in the background and I just find it depressing that they're co-opting the popularity of feminism's resurgence to to sell that Mm because to me um, this will sound really judgmental of me but I I see a lot of um, I feel like we're sort of going backwards because there's a lot of girls now who do things that to me are behaving like strippers but they do it in the name of feminism and empowerment but the whole thing is reliant on the approval of men. Well, we've gone, we've gone like, we've basically jumped in at the deep end, okay? It's fair to say, okay? Uh, Warned you. But, uh, but I, I don't think there should be any fear of that, right? Because if we start there and we start with that discussion, we can come back to Pierre and I and our responsibility in this to fucking shut up and listen for a bit. Would you say, Pierre, that a big part of you improving as a man is actually being quiet a bit more. Yes, it is difficult. I was, on the same day once on Facebook, I saw a status about how we should be quiet. And I also saw another angry status saying, why aren't more men talking about it? <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just going to go to bed until <laughs> you tell me what to do. <laughs> I just, all I want is clear instructions. <laughs> Whatever it is, I'll do it. I'll show up. I'll, yeah, do but the, obviously, I'll sign the... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Funny, I just, funny and all, but... I just don't want to be in you trouble. You do have to put your thinking cap on and go, yeah. what am I doing that's yes. wrong? That's what I would see yeah. as, as my understanding of the first step in being a better man. Also, it's difficult as well because, like... I've got another friend who is still a stripper now and she's one of the it's empowering people and so I just sort of sit and go yes I don't (laughs) I don't need an opinion on it so I just don't form one yeah that would be a wise choice yeah uh, but uh, but it just it means you end up becoming like you feel like a weird documentary maker (laughs) you just sort of go what do you think about it I think many things Good day, and you quickly <laughs> sprint to the tube, go home. Simon and I started this conversation two, two years ago while I was in the middle of what I call my uh, feminist awakening, where I had no idea up until two years ago that I was actually a feminist. 
that I had grown up with three really strong women in the house, all super high achievers, way higher than me, and doing things in school that I was effectively told, don't you worry about that. The girls are better at that than you. And in some ways, I developed a certain level of uh, animosity towards the... I guess you'd put it in the bracket of Cindy Lauper, girls just want to have fun and the sense that why can't lads have fun as well? And I had some weird, weird stuff there, but I had no idea that to me, women weren't just equal. They were in many ways better than me. That that's what I was led to believe at an, er- at an early age. Two years ago, we sit down in Dublin and the conversation we had there, a kind of, I was in the process of realizing that probably four to five times in my life up to that point, I'd been on the street and scared shitless I was going to die, someone was going to kick my head in. And it was only when we sat down that I discovered two years ago that that was how you guys were moving through the world on a daily basis from a really early age. Were you finding at that time that you were meeting a lot of men and do you find that you're meeting men who are realizing, oh shit, I had no idea exactly how intimidating we were being. Yeah, so so much has changed in the last two years with Around Me Too and in Ireland anyway, the conversation around domestic violence is really raised in, in profile. So would be having these conversations more. I think there's just this universal raising of consciousness. But I'm really concerned about this idea of men behaving badly or being allies to feminism, because really feminism is just about women being human. Like to quote your interview with Bridget Christie, you wouldn't, you ask people, well, are you a feminist? Charlotte, are you a feminist? Or you say, I recently became a feminist. I wouldn't ask you, are you a racist? Like, being a feminist just means I believe that women are human beings and deserving of the same rights. Mm. So I'm struggling with that idea of allies because I think there's just so much in it for men to not be in this awful, lonely, terrible place of perceived dominance, whether you're actually dominant or not. Mm. It's a shit buzz. Like, it's lonely, (laughs) it's crappy, everyone's angry with you, you're scaring women walking down the street... You're being paid more than them, even if you're less qualified than them. Like, nothing about that is happy Mm. or connected or community or anything. I just, I kind of think this is a human experiment. And if we're able to do that, and as women who've been thinking about this a lot longer, more actively, are able to say, instead of like you feeling like you can't join that conversation on Facebook or whatever, that this is something we should just all be talking about, because this is just better for everybody. It's better for the three-year-old boy who wants to not take the head off everything with the sword, but to, you know, put on theatre or whatever. We're in the Me Too generation, so I have to be very gentle. You wouldn't have your job if you weren't beautiful. It's very sad. I wouldn't choose to be alone. <laughs> this is a journey. Love tweeted Saturday saying, although I wasn't one of his victims, I was eternally banned by CAA for speaking out against Harvey Weinstein. New dimension, new value. For years, men have been getting a whole pizza delivered to them every day, and now women just want half of the pizza, and men are like, 
what, why the fuck am I getting half a pizza all of a sudden? There certainly seems to be vital signs of people rushing to take offence to catcalling and wolf whistling. Now, the only people who are taking offence to this are extreme feminists. It's a genius thing that the patriarchy have done. They have made gender-based violence a thing that women deal with. And it's not their problem, it's men's problem. Please, uh, would you mind saying that again? One day I saw a guy, he was trying to take a picture of my skirt. I was getting out of the car with bags and a dog. I didn't actually realise until the picture was in the paper and someone printed this shit. This sort of behaviour, we have to adopt a zero tolerance policy. I think the world's gone mad. Somebody brushed your knee 15 years ago. This is complete nonsense. Now, it's not doing the reputation of Parliament any good. And I can't believe that women are being so wimpish these days. Oh, my God. Feminism is not about a female being powerful. It's about redressing a balance, and it's about equality. And feminism is a very necessary thing for young men to have. And if you want to know, if you think you're a feminist, let a woman pay for your dinner and see how you feel about that. If you're cool with that, you're a feminist. If you're not, you need to look at yourself. Our next live recording will take place at the podcast stage at Electric Picnic in Ireland on September 1st. Please make your way down there if you're at Electric Picnic. But our next ticketed live event in London, I'm delighted to say, will be a double episode recording. That's two episodes recorded in one night. A host of guests on September 20th in the Other Palace Theatre. This will hopefully be our regular home from now on. September 20th, will be the first one. The tickets for that and news on future episodes and ways to support the show, all you have to do is visit jigser.com, J-I-G-S-E-R.com. That's my website. All the details will be there. If this kind of conversation is your kind of thing, if you like long-form interviews, well, maybe you'd like to check out our other series, Irishman Abroad. We have more than 250 episodes of the original series featuring the likes of Hosier, Sharon Horgan, Louise O'Neill, Brian O'Driscoll, Chris O'Dowd, Sir Bob Geldof and Lisa Hannigan. And you can get the last 100 of those free wherever you get your podcasts. But if you'd like early access to Men Behaving Better episodes and access to the entire archive of all the podcasts we've produced, head over to our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Irishmanabroad. There's even discount codes if you'd like to attend a live event. That's patreon.com forward slash Irishmanabroad. Support us, allow us to continue making this podcast and follow us along on this journey of a new conversation for men and women about improving. It's funny that you, 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 I get the definition of, uh, oh, we're seeing you guys as human and <laughs> accepting that you guys deserve the same rights as us. But until that point, it's not just a passive thing. It's a thing when I say I recognize and my friends start to recognize they're feminists, it's that they want in on the fight, that they want to be part of the struggle. Now, Fern, you have explained to me that your type of man in this world <laughs> that you are attracted to is what Irish people know as boggers. <laughs> uh, people yeah. from the countryside. Uh, yeah. Soft fellas who uh, enjoy uh, Gaelic football pints. I'm, it's, a, it's a stereotype. I fully get that. Yeah, it, man, it's I'm like parodying a fetish. Stereotype, and I t- <laughs> <laughs> like, it took me years to realize. I was like, oh, I keep doing Irish or Northern Irish guys that are like farmers out of a porno like they just have this <laughs> glorious sexual purity that I, just, I love and I'm 
can't get it from English guys. Is that the attraction? The the uh, kind of oh the Jesus, innocence. I don't know what I'm doing in the bedroom. Oh. <laughs> just even you saying that, yeah, just then. Um, I love it, man. I don't like. Um, uh, yeah, and it's uh, but the the downside of that I'm at risk of repeating some of my stand up now. Uh, the flip side of that is those kind of guys can can be basic in terms of <laughs> feminism, but my boyfriend is um, from the Irish countryside, but then he went to a sort of posh uni. And I think he did a postgrad in like single mothers and uh, and like their working rights. So that was like a good combination. But um, one thing I found depressing because I've been going out with the same guy for about six years, and I kept going on at him about um, women getting catcalled and sexually harassed. And I'm I'm very very intolerant of. Um, cat calling because I'm not being paid for it anymore so I'm just I, I just find it infuriating that there's that, that women have to put up with it all the time so I kept telling my boyfriend about cat calling happening in London and he, he was going well what were you wearing or um, you know were you making a certain face at them and he said I think it's because you walk around with your fists clenched ready for a confrontation <laughs> and I was like no it's nothing I'm doing and it was only one night when we were waiting for a night bus and these um this guy mimed grabbing my fanny <laughs> and leered at me and he didn't know my boyfriend was with me and my boyfriend was like I can't believe you just did that and I went welcome to my world and then it was only when the Me Too stuff happened that he was like, I can't believe this happens to women all the time. Mate, have you listened to anything I've said <laughs> for six years? And then my dad, who's a, a lovely man, but also quite basic, phoned me up and he, the, the Harvey Weinstein stuff had happened and my dad phoned up and he went, I can't believe it, I've just seen this interview with Emma Thompson talking about how all these actresses get sexually harassed. I was like, Dad, I've told you about catcalling. So it's interesting that it's finally making a See, when uh, we talked about change. this gentleman that you're, that you're with, uh, that you had stumbled across, uh, you know, his, your, you've, you've witnessed his friends not being <laughs> as evolved as he is. Yeah. And I would put it, I put it to you, and I, I do think that this is a big part of kind of the male dilemma now, is that... You're essentially trying to convince the women that are around you that you're not like other men. That that is what, that's why you're with this guy. That you see his dickhead friends, but you go, he's not like him. He's not like them. And then friction occurs in relationships when occasionally he'll do something that makes you group him with those people. Would you agree, uh, Pierre, that this is... This is the game of the modern man, is to try and say and ex disassociate themselves from the poor behavior of the majority. Well, you've got you've to play a few games of taxi driver conversations sometimes, <laughs> where if you have a friend or an acquaintance who says something, you can... There's very... Men don't tend to confront each other directly because we tend to beat each other quite violently. <laughs> Things tend to escalate statistically if men have confrontational uh, situations between them. But I found that if you take Meaning a, calling it out. Yeah, calling it out. But you can't call it out in an in a authoritarian or preachy way because they'll 
that'll tend to flare up if they're unreasonable. So you it's need to like why not? Like th- this is my question as well. It's, it's also part of ineffe- being it's, better. It's also ineffective. It's ineffective to hey now hang on there because who are you to? This is your friend of a friend who's done this or whatever. But you can so do. You don't think we we have to call it out when we see? No, it. you call it out. You've got to use rhetoric. You've got to be sneaky with okay, it. Okay, explain that. You waggle your finger at someone's face. They're on the defensive. They're going to react badly to that. It's never got anyone anywhere. Whereas you go, yeah, why do you think that? No, I don't think I've ever seen that. No, that's not true. They go, well, you know, I don't, don't think that that's... You've got to go in That's like probably that. going to work once, though, right? That's, then it's, it's going to be like, oh, Pierre's off on one again. No, it's worked a couple of times. Really? So yeah. when you see... this Because if this you're not... It's making the assumption that you're friends with reasonable people. Okay. Reasonable people can be convinced of things. If you're friends with a bunch of psychopaths, that's a bigger problem than <laughs> stop, I guess, than, I don't know, kill them or leave. But if they're that Why are mad. you friends with them? Yeah, exactly. But don't, don't be friends with those people then. But if you know in your heart that one of the reasons you're friends with this person is because they are reasonable, there is a way in. And by starting it as an argument, you will block off that way. The last time we sat down in this room to discuss a similar topic to this was with Laura Whitmore and Roshin Conaty, and they said the responsibility was on men to point it out when they see it and stop it. Do you guys feel that that's, that's our job? Uh, yeah, in the instance of um, catcalling, yeah, that would be great. Because I've only... <laughs> 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 yeah, because I've only ever had people step in once when it happened to me, and it was three women... A lot of the time, people just um, pass by. So, and it's everyone's responsibility. But that—that's the problem. It's all of culture. So everyone knows that the person next door's partner's hitting them, but they don't do anything about it. So, times where not only catcalling, but I've been sexually assaulted, even in work as a lawyer where <clears throat> one recent occasion where I bent over in court and the barrister standing behind me put his hand down the back of my trousers and grabbed my bare bottom standing in the high court. Yeah. Um, and uh, because it's not the first time, I'm really quite angry. So FYI, next person dies. And um, uh, I turned and I shouted really. We were all standing because the tip staff had come out and said, all rise for the judge but then I don't know the judge was fixing his hair or something and he hadn't come out and um, I didn't even think I turned and I said I've punched more important barristers than you for less you fucking watch it whole room journalists everything whole room just made the scream face because I had shouted and said fuck and we sat down we went through the whole morning of um, evidence and then we went into the lunch break and I thought I thought someone's going to come over and say either give out to me or and say what are you what are you thinking why were you you know or say are you okay nothing nothing for two weeks till I rang um, I arranged a conference call with the solicitor who briefed this particular person and I said look I know you heard me shout on Friday in court did you not wonder why I you know you know me for a long time I wouldn't behave like that what happened and he said no I knew what happened he has form oh fuck's sake 
I know. And then there was the reason I called him was because it was younger. I it was a, <coughs> a hearing here in London in the Queen's Bench in London. There was a young Irish girl in her early twenties uh, with brown hair, and I thought, you know, this is all awful for me. But actually, I really don't want her to start her career witnessing this and not seeing me advocate for myself. I do this for other people, and I said to her, first of all, your boss's response to this is absolutely appalling. If you are ever assaulted or harassed in work, and this is the response, you need to sue them. And she said, that will never happen to me. This yeah. is such a I common know. thing. What is that? So Anne Robinson's just made a BBC uh, documentary about this. Um, such a common thing to say, that doesn't happen to me because I'm a stronger woman than the women this happens to. And there's a lot, um, Anne Robinson said it, Joanna Lumley's come out with loads of dumb quotes saying, oh, you know, in the 60s, we just, everything was like a carry-on film and we put up with a pat on the bottom. And it's like, I've had a guy rub his dick at me on the tube. Like, that's not carry-on film stuff. And this is how common it is for this kind of stuff to happen to women. While you were saying that, I was like, oh, yeah, the guy that groped me on the tube this year, separate from penis rubbing man. All right. <laughs> this is... Now, this is too good. This was while I was making... I just made this... They do these BBC free online short sketch things. And I was doing one about women getting harassed and catcalled. While that's going on, I um, got a, I was getting a tube to the airport. Uh, it was a Sunday morning. I was wearing baggy clothes, no makeup. And as I was getting off the, the tube, I felt two hands on my ass, And I was like, oh, maybe they've just bumped into me. No, no, it was a man holding on quite determinedly and, like, just held on to my arse as I got off. And I was like, what the fuck are you doing? And um, the guy was mentally not right, but I, I sort of went after him and I was like, I can't hit him because, like, work's going quite well at the moment, so I can't, I can't get a record for it. Um, and the TFL have this big campaign that's like, if guys um, do anything like that, on the tube, you should report it. They, they've been really big on this. So I was sort of, I was upset. I was crying about it and I was sort of shocked at myself how upset I was. So I report it. I go in to make a statement. They went, you need to make a statement because this is a sexual assault. And I was like, Christ, I didn't, I kind of just reported it because I thought, you know, if this guy's going around doing it to other people, I just, I don't have to go to court or anything. Well, I go in. The guy's asking what my job was in between asking me about what happened in a room full of other police officers. And he went, well, uh, at least you can use this in your comedy. Oh, oh, right, great, yeah, a hilarious story. And then um, he's, I said, Badger, I just can't believe it happened. I was wearing baggy clothes and I wasn't wearing makeup, which I know it doesn't matter what you're wearing. And he went, oh, you should take it as a compliment and just said so many dumb things that I've just completely lost faith in, like, what, and ever reporting that kind of thing to the police. I mean, I've uh, definitely talked to women about this very thing, and it probably has what precipitated this series happening, because I was meeting two women, one who had no sympathy for the other women involved, one kind of well-known Irish person in entertainment in Ireland said, 
Ida just smacked him across the face. And I said that, and the only way I could talk to that, and you tell me if this is the only, like, if this is the proper approach was, because I felt like, here I am now having to call it out with a woman. Yeah. Uh, that I said, um, I've never had to slap anyone across the face uh, because they had groped me. Why do you have to put up with that and I don't? And, uh, I mean, it's probably the most awkward conversation I've ever been involved in in my life. Because I felt like, uh, in some ways you feel, and this is again, Pierre, I bring you in on this, that there's a reluctance that is at the core of what we're trying to do here. Yeah. In that men don't feel, they're not sure of where their place is in this when they hear those things. The temptation was so real to go, oh, that's just, let's call her Sarah. You know, she, she probably would smack him in the face. But instead, the opportunity was, like you say, to come around it in some way to say, Sarah, you know there's people that have never slapped anyone in the face and are incapable of doing it or were abused as kids, and this has brought back that memory to them. Uh, I, I don't know, Pierre, if you feel the same way as me, but you have to kind of steel yourself to be ready for the awkwardness that's going to come with this. Oh, yeah, you're signing up to an enormous pain in the ass socially because you're going to have to really annoy a lot of people or put a little roadblock there because they were trying to, like, especially when someone says something like that to you, oh, I would have just hit them. But they're expecting you to be like in the pub and be like, oh, yeah, and then you mm. move on to something else. They're trying Whereas, to banter their way out of it. Yeah, 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 and then you have to lay down a little speed bump and, yeah. Oh, when I say, I had to clarify, when I was talking about when you call it out through rhetoric and stuff, I meant in conversation, not like public <laughs> criminal incidents. That's a call the police. Don't engage in rhetoric. Because essentially. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. Have you considered. The <laughs> no, just call the authorities. And have and in with. your situation there, you needed to go higher up, right? Was that the appropriate yeah, thing to do? You needed to go, I need to see your supervisor. Um, I, I honestly, I didn't have the energy uh, by the, I just, I thought about going higher up and then I just sort of lost faith in it and was like, I'm just going to keep making stuff and comedy or do material about catcalling okay. because I've tried every approach and I can tell you what happens when you hit them. You have to get, run for two blocks and you get chased because I've done every possible approach. I've done it where you... Uh, do it the correct way I've hit them I've shouted at them well let me ask you then because that has come up a couple of times now is the creation of comedy within it Fern when you try and write about this uh, the resistance you face specifically you Fern must be intense yeah I learned that the hard way during a live recording of the Now Show uh, <laughs> where I tried out harassment material but um uh, yeah, in stand-up, I don't know. It'll be a while before I do harassment stuff again. But then the, the well, sketch what's the, on it. What's the way? Well. How do we do it? Like, what do you? What do you find? Like, Pierre, you're writing for you know one of the leading political uh, satire shows in the country, oh, yeah. and <laughs> <laughs> and I'd imagine that when ideas are being pitched on the subject, the hoop that it has to jump through is so much higher and covered in flames that uh, it must 
uh, as a writer in that room, you must be thinking, well, I can throw these darts that are Boris Johnson related and relate uh, to the appearance and the silliness of yeah. uh, the peripherals. But when actually addressing, you know, the hypocrisy within something as serious as sexual harassment, gender pay gap, you must just think to yourself in that room, well... I don't want to be the guy who got knocked back three <laughs> times on those things. Pierre, the guy who's still banging on about that shit, right? Well, the, uh, the worst satire is the easy satire, like you say. You think, oh, have you noticed Eric Pickles is quite fat? Said, yes. What, has he got what a policy now? coming out? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the main thing is that if you're a male writer in the writer's room, you even if you pitch the idea, you won't really be the one who ends up writing it. But also, even then, you can only really pitch stuff that's... So, like, the, the thing I said with the Facebook statuses and, like, oh, men should feel like they can engage. But when it comes to things where the world of feminism and women in feminism is in violent civil war, then you can't f fucking pitch that. No one needs that many tweets. You know, there's, there's an element of um, no one's figured out where they stand on this yet, even within the one group that is advocating for the... So you just can't touch it uh, unless you... I don't know, unless you're Jermaine Greer, for an example. So you would say you can't touch it? <laughs> Um, no, you can touch the obvious stuff. You can do the harassment stuff. Yeah, uh, but can, well, you, one, can you bring it back can, to I something can't. silly? Huh? That's, like, essentially what I'm finding is that you can go there, but you need to keep going back to, you know, drinking, uh, the differences between men and women. But it's different Dogs, if it's, it's cats. different if it's stand-up, because stand-up is a person trying to tell you something, whereas on the MASH report you had Rachel Paris, and she's a character, mm. a sort of mad, rude news update lady, whatever, character um, and it's extreme and she's established in the show that her comments are extreme and she's doing it through rhetoric she's doing it through whatever the term is for when you state obscene things that are true as if they're good and then you uh, phrase the questions that are obvious as if they're silly questions or stupid questions mm -hmm. so it's very like formulaic meta <laughs> no. it's like meta rhetorical prodding it's Socratic you know yeah. that's the most effective kind of thing yeah, definitely progress has been made because I remember a, a few years ago I tried to pitch something about catcalling. It's really something I'm preoccupied by. <laughs> and, um, and, they, and none of the producers knew what I was talking about. Uh, they were all nice people. And um, my agent at the time, uh, it was a, a gay guy, was like, oh, do you mean, like, sometimes when I walk through Soho, uh, guys will shout stuff out at me. And I was like, no, that's not, this isn't what I'm talking about. So the fact that now, because I was quite persistent with trying to pitch stuff on it and do material on it, and just the fact that I've managed to do a set on TV about catcalling and get the BBC to make a sketch shows that we're inching forward on it. I and mean, then Rachel Paris's thing as well. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I do think it's, it's inches. Like, it is sl slowly kind of getting it into clubs, essentially, where the place where people go to laugh, where for years it felt like they didn't want to think in any way, shape, or form. I can remember a friend of mine being told that. People come here to laugh, not to think. Why can't they do both things, right? What, what's the harm in that? A piece that I attempted to write recently was, is there anything to be said for an apology? Could all men just accept we fucked up in a huge way for a very long time and we'd like to apologize? And I recognize that somewhere in there, there's something. 
but it was only when I talked to you, Simon, that you raised the fact that sometimes an apology, and anyone in a relationship will understand this, is that sometimes once someone apologizes, that's used as a stick to beat the other person with. I fucking said I'm sorry, is the translation of that, which is essentially a retraction of the I apology. the dishwasher. What I, the fuck? What is wrong with you? Why can't you accept my fucking apology, you ungrateful bitch, right? That's, that's a, not that I talk to my wife that way, just to be, just to be clear. Uh, I, I have friends who do this, right? But it is a... I would imagine that in a a year, in 18 months, two years of terrible apologies, that you're right, an apology, the power of it, can be used against the victims then. Yeah, and you know what, it's such, and you and I have talked about this, I spent a year traveling around uh, domestic violence shelters and refuges and interviewing women about their experience of the legal system, and it was like really intense, it was traumatic, there were tears, but I laughed, and they laughed so much, like in the middle of the depths of the tragedy of it, what was absolutely hilarious was the like, pitifulness of dominance. So this one woman in Ireland with this big deal about the millennium, do you remember that? There was millennium everything mm-hmm. and they had millennium milk bottles and people kept and people have millennium milk bottles in their attics because they might be worth something one day. <laughs> Desperate. And this woman's husband used to fill her car with petrol from the millennium milk bottle because he knew that was enough petrol to get to the local shop and back again. And she was telling me this in the middle of tears and all sorts of other things that were awful. But when she said it, she realized the ridiculousness of it, like the actual powerlessness of this man who was stuck somewhere in boy, that he needed to know where she was every minute of the day to feel secure, that he had this system. And then she sort of realized how ridiculous it was that she was stuck in it and both of us honestly were like on all fours in this <laughs> shitty yeah. refuge where like cr- I'm in my suit you know pretending I'm like an adult and that we're in like ribbons laughing yeah. at this at because the, it's preposterous sheer small mindedness, it's Donald Trump meeting it. Kim like it's preposterous you, the so it is funny and I, 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 solemnity is very dangerous it's a real tool of patriarchy it means oh, these things are taboo we mustn't talk about them rape you never get over domestic violence you never get over these things are not things you survive we need to laugh about it when uh, yeah. I would imagine that the pushback that this show will receive is one that I'm attempting to pander to the wokeness that I'm trying to position myself in some kind of Machiavellian way to be the most feminist little guy to weasel its way to, to oh, I, I got there before everybody else and I planted my flag and the, fuck you everybody else and then, right? uh, and then it'll be I'm standing outside the house of Jarlath Regan <laughs> <laughs> I the police officers yeah. have entered the property behind me <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I was thinking that to be honest <laughs> But like then there's 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 another part to it that is that there's a fatigue there's a fatigue among men about this issue and it's creeping in we got it you're fucking sexually harassed all right i get it 
fucking enough, right? Okay, I'm going to try and not do it anymore. <laughs> Can we just fucking move on? And I would say to that, and you tell me if you agree with this, that if you are one of those men that has somehow managed to reach 55 minutes in an episode, in the episode one of Men Behaving Better, <laughs> that, the, that you saying, I got it, as a man, in this situation speaks so much to your fucking ego that you think that what you have is it given that the experience of what it is has never really entered your sphere and you will never fully get it and that getting it is a long fucking road that you are now on that you have to stay with I'm not sure what the end of this bit is but Um. I put to you that when we encounter that fatigue of, fuck man, really, you doing a podcast about this? Because I'm fucking sick of it. What do we do? Well, the best explanation I've heard for it, and I can understand why men feel aggrieved even though they're wrong, is um, (laughs) because for for years, um, this is someone else said on another podcast, for years men have been getting a whole pizza delivered to them every day, and now women just want half of the pizza, and men are like... What, why the fuck am I getting half a pizza all of a sudden? And um, the, yeah, so it feels like it's they're jarring. losing yeah. out on something, but they're not. I also think they don't realise that that half a pizza they got was really shitty. Like it was, yeah. it was really not a good tasting pizza because they were eating it on their own because everyone else was angry with them because they'd taken more and they weren't sharing. So that idea that you can domineer people and be in privilege but also be in community and everyone loves mm. you and that you, that you are able to connect, whether it's sexually or through friendships or with family or with your children. Like Gloria Steinem says, feminism is the only movement that gives men nine more years of life. Because when you don't work all the time being bullied by other men, uh, getting homophobic jokes, if you have any emotion other than anger and violence, you live longer. <laughs> You know, like, this is really good for men. Like, behaving better or whatever way you want to describe it. Like, Like, I think the pizza analogy is great. I think it's great because also, if you are eating that pizza on your own, you don't understand the joy of sharing pizza with somebody. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck is the use of good things if you're not sharing them with someone else? Mm. The whole enjoyment of a pizza is looking to the person next to you saying it's fucking good pizza isn't it yeah there's, there's actually just misery and self-loathing I'm, yeah. I'm clearly the only person have, in this fucking room that's eating a pizza by himself <laughs> excuse me guys I thought we were all on the same page yeah. uh, we're, we're nearing the end of our time but we do have time for maybe one question from the audience if there was something you feel we didn't get to uh, I'm going to let this gentleman in the front row have it because his hand went up first and I could feel real tension among everybody else as to what they'd ask. So go for it, sir. It's on and Is ready it to go. Okay. Yeah, go for it. Um, Give us your what, name, where you're from, and what your question is first. Uh, my name's Takutwa, and I'm from, I'm from London-ish. <laughs> and my question is basically about the, the shame men have through being complicit in our inactivity you know for example not calling out the cat calling at all 
And I think there's a certain problem with the historical violence and belligerence of men. And it's shameful, but to say men are afraid of other men. I think that deserves a round of applause. I think we throw that up. It's a really good point. And, and maybe if we started with that admission that we are actually afraid of each other. Yeah, and that we're, we're, yeah. a lot of us are in the same boat as you guys. Yeah. That we feel, we feel a certain degree of fear towards this group of men too. Oh, the, their boat is actually still worse. Sure, <laughs> fully accepted. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Great. I think mean, that's a super can contribution. Does anyone want to take that? Well, can I... Can, sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. Uh, I, I heard an interview with a trans man who said once he transitioned uh, and was a, started living as a guy, uh, he was like, I can't believe how much men just shoulder bump you for no reason. And, uh, just <laughs> it's a real a, thing. Yeah, oh, yeah, like, because there's this alpha male yeah, thing. Let them know I'm there. Yeah. Boom. Right in the shoulder. <laughs> Fuck you, you weedy prick, right? It's just a total assertion of dominance that is nowhere on the scale of what you've been dealing with. But it is the kind of shit that men do to each other, right? Along, along <laughs> on a daily basis. I think that the complicit point and the shame that comes with that is something that's really hard to address because in some ways to accept the shame and accept the complicity is to uh, you know have fault in this to to open yourself up to being you know well you know well done on saying you feel ashamed but you still did do that shit well Brene Brown says shame is not a motivational tool like so you know that you praise children they do well you shame them they just become humiliated super egos and are a nightmare I don't so, know I, like, I think Ireland uses yeah. shame as a motivation that's why we're all a, a mess no that's why we're all a mess I yes. mean we don't okay. anymore but right. like that's why it's yeah. not it it's doesn't not, work no it doesn't term. work yeah, yeah. and actually I don't want either an apology or shame or you feeling complicit or guilty or any of that just help like this is a human project I think the reason I took this book out from under my arse is because um, it's a splendid book but um, Rebecca Solnit quotes Bell Hooks and she says <clears throat> no one ever put it better than Bell Hooks who said the first act of violence that patriarchy demands of males is not violence toward women instead patriarchy demands of all males that they engage in acts of psychic self-mutilation that they kill off the emotional parts of themselves if an individual is not successful in emotionally crippling himself he can count on patriarchal men to enact rituals of power that will assault his self-esteem so my, my short version of this is that it, it messes with boys first and then they mess with girls. Like, so we're all, it's just a structure and we can dismantle it. We used to be fiercely egalitarian. We weren't stingy with our antelopes or our genitals. And, you know, like, I just think, yeah, well, I just, well, I, think I really think we've, we've been there before. This isn't like an impossibility. It can be done. And yeah. I, I do feel that, like, what we've done this evening is in some way part of starting some kind of crack that can grow into something else. I really want to thank you guys for taking part in the conversation, for uh, having the discussion, and you guys for coming along. I give you all like a last word on it, essentially, if you'd like one, Pierre. Is there anything you'd like to say to close things out? Let's put it this way. 
as a, a man attempting to be better, what is your advice to other men attempting to do the exact same thing? Uh, well, I was very interested in the shame and fear thing because it's hard to find a middle ground, especially if you see a dangerous situation happening. And I was in one once where I was on a train. If you're a comedian, you have a lot of weird late trains back from the middle of nowhere. And in the train carriage, very long train carriage, was me, two young guys, and a lady right at the far end. It was one of those really long ones. And then this maniac bursts in, and he keeps going to the disabled toilet to do rails of uh, fun powder of some kind. He's got pupils like fucking pinpricks. And he's striding up and down the carriage, yelling about how he just got out of prison. <laughs> and he's celebrating. <laughs> and so everyone in the carriage is going, what the fuck? What the? And I'm going back to London to meet all my friends again. And he's like, at no one, just screaming, <laughs> you know, rubbing all the stuff from under his nose. So everyone's just going, oh my Jesus Lord. And then he keeps going over to the lady and he doesn't touch her, but he sort of leans over and he's making comments and stuff. And the two young guys, and by young I mean like I don't even know if they're old enough to drink. They're uncomfortable, they don't know what to do, and he, he keeps going over and talking to them as well. He doesn't talk to me. And then I remembered that there's all those posters saying like British Transport Police, you can text them. And so I thought, great, I can text them. Because if I ring them, uh, his cocaine-powered hearing will... <laughs> like a bat, he'll come. And so I thought, okay, I'll text them. And then they'll, and they were great. They were at the next stop. I, and they, they say, tell us what the like, train is and the number and all this kind of stuff. But then the trouble was, when they got into the carriage, it was enough to calm him down and scare him, these two BTP guys. But without anyone willing to say what he'd been doing, nothing could be done. And I didn't know enough about the law to know if I ratted him out in front of him at that moment, they would take the man away. <laughs> I hoped they would, but I didn't know. And the police coming and having a chat to him was enough to make him sit down and just uh, complain loudly about uh, being snitched on for the rest of the journey. <laughs> But then when the lady left at her stop, which wasn't the final stop in London, it was some village or whatever, she screamed at the whole carriage about how fucking pathetic it was that no one had done anything. And I thought in my head, I'm not going to fucking get stabbed for you, man. I'm gonna, I have a life. I, this guy's a maniac. You saw what he was talking about. So that's a halfway house where you get like half action, half shame <laughs> through the fear of this cocaine-powered lunatic. And uh, then I got off way earlier than I, I needed to, right on the outskirts of London and, and got in. But that's the best you can do sometimes is find a halfway house where your own personal morals are at least a bit satisfied. But other than that, don't put yourself in a dangerous situation with that guy. I think we're nearly done. I'm getting a light. So uh, over to you, Fern. Uh, I was just quickly going to say um, I'd recommend watching this thing called Jihad that's on Netflix and it's about guys that joined uh, ISIS or other extremist uh, Muslim groups and a big reason why loads of them joined was because they didn't feel like heroes in their own life and they felt they were made to feel really small but also one of them was like I think a big reason lots of us join is we just really want a ride with women and because um, we're forbidden, it's like really frowned upon in a lot of um, Muslim communities. At least if we uh, dress up uh, in all these outfits, it makes us the bigger man, and then women will want to be our brides. And I just, I just think it's interesting how men are made to feel small, and I think if we had equality, that wouldn't be as much of an issue. Well, it's a, uh, it's again, it's just uh, I find. 
that starting out tonight, it's been extremely hard to know where to begin. Where do we start in the discussion of improvement when, you know, it, it seems like, well, everything needs to be improved. Simon, you, you kind of are the reason that I kind of started down this road in many ways. Uh, when you come across these men and you've clearly, you know, suffered at their hands in places where you would think you're protected, you're a barrister in the high court, and yet it happens to you. What is the hope in this? Like, what is the hope that we can take away? Like, you've already said it is possible, but like, is it because we're in an echo chamber and that everybody here listens to podcasts, but in reality, the vast majority of people aren't connected to this discussion? No, I, I, I believe human beings are fundamentally good and fundamentally egalitarian and that patriarchy is this terrible system that hurts boys and hurts girls and hurts men and women and that we can change this. And I think there's just a great raising of global consciousness because of the work of women over years. But men are joining it now, and I think more so than allies to feminism, they're joining it because they realize they don't want to live like this anymore. They would like a range of emotions that aren't just anger and violence and aren't just homophobic and misogynistic jokes. So I've, despite everything that I've seen, I have great faith in it. And I think we really need to give a shout out to Bridget Christie, because actually it was your reading of her book mm. and your Irishman Abroad interview with her. Her, her book is just a stunning, uh, stunning piece of work. And um, for anyone who's not able for Rebecca Solnit, the mother of all questions, or, or Bell yeah. Hooks, it's, a it's just such a yeah. fantastic place to start. And I think she's really hopeful as well, you know? Like she's, we'll, yeah, soon, yeah. To be, soon to appear on this very podcast, oh, I believe. Oh, brilliant. So, brilliant. Guys, well, thank, thank you, you so her. much. Uh, Simon flew in specifically for this. You guys, it was a shorter journey, but thank you so much for being here for episode one of Men Behaving thank Better. Thank you for doing it. I think it. we improved somewhat over the hour. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, we'll be back here again next month, I hope, for episode two. Thank you so much, everybody. A few very quick thank yous to Soho Theatre for having us for our first episode. I'll be back there in August 23rd, 24th and 25th to perform my own stand-up show, a solo show called Organ Freeman, a show I named before Morgan Freeman revealed himself to be who he is. But it is a stand-up show about me donating a kidney to my brother about a year ago. I'd love you to come along if you like uh, stand-up, if you like my stand-up, that's the place to see it. It's the final three performances. There really won't be any more added after this. This is it. It's done. I'll close the book on that show at Soho Theatre on the 23rd, 24th and 25th of August. Please do buy a ticket. I uh, also want to say thanks to Brian Connolly for helping uh, produce and edit this show. To Tina and Mikey for making it all possible. My guests, Simon George, uh, Pierre Novelli and Fern Brady, unbelievably brilliant in giving people and really set the stall out for what we hope the series will be in the future. Our next episode, as I said, will be recorded in London on September 20th. I want as many of you to be there as possible. September 20th in the Other Palace Theatre. 
The tickets for that are on sale now. Go to my website, jigzer.com. That's the place to go to find all the information you need on this show. And email me. Like I said, the mailbag is going to be a big part of the show. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to discuss your problems, your issues, your dilemmas when it comes to improving the men in your life or improving as a man yourself. Irishmanabroadpodcast at gmail.com is the email address. Or head over to our Patreon page and sign up. You'll get advanced access to future episodes, extended episodes, and even video footage from the events themselves. But that's only available to the good patrons, the people that actually funded the creation of this new series. Our patrons from patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad. But thank you again for listening. If you liked it, subscribe, share. You know what to do. Leave us a rating on iTunes. It will help us push this conversation out to the forefront and let other people see it in the iTunes store. But that's it for episode one for Men Behaving Better. I'll see you next time.